Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. We have been walking through a book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians. We've been in a series on love, and we have realized that the problem in that church was, uh, was had, they had uh, various problems, whether it was how they ate together in the Lord's Supper, or it's how they divided themselves up, when they liked one preacher over another. They had all these different things that was causing division. And yet Paul would ultimately say that the core issue wasn't just that they weren't unified or that they, they weren't, didn't have alignment in terms of their theology. Ultimately, they did not understand the love of God. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13, he would reel down these descriptors of love. And then in 1 Corinthians 13 and 8, he would say, love never fails. Now, that word there, fail, it, it's what we mean when we say a runner has run out of energy. They're tired. It means that a, a flower has now faded. It no longer has its life. It means quit, means die. And he's saying that love does not quit. It does not die. It does not fail. And it is, in short, then saying that love does not fail people. That we know that the love of God has been showered upon us so much so that we know that God has been patient with us in our worst. Does anybody have that testimony tonight? That God loved you in your worst and God demonstrates his love to us while we were yet sinners. Not while we were getting it together. While we were running from him, God pursued us. And now God calls us to pursue others. And I don't know if you know this, but patient love is exhausting. It wears you out. We've looked at different ways that you can express the idea of love. Uh, you could look at C.S. Lewis or Jonathan Edwards, but love really goes into three buckets, the first of which being reciprocal love. That would be love that you know you're going to get back from someone else, that kind of romantic love, that connected love. You, you love something about them because you receive something. And then there's benevolent love, the kind of love that you might show someone who is hurting and distraught and down on their luck, someone you see on the train and you offer them food, money, clothing. But then there's radical love, which is the name of this series. The radical love of God, the kind of love that is unreasonable, illogical, uncommon, the kind of love that would cause you to love your enemy, that you would love someone in their worst, that it's been said that marriage is 50-50, but if it's love, then you love a person when they're giving 0% and you still give them 100%. Love does not fail. And that kind of unfailing love is the radical love of Jesus. Now, what we have to get in our minds, you know, people have come up to me with great testimonies of people they've felt like they needed to love more, people they've had an issue with. There is someone in your life that their job description is to work your last nerve, praise the Lord, right? But what we have to figure out is, is the love of God, is, is loving loving God and loving people, is that essential to your conduct? 
Or do you find it helpful? Has this series been a bunch of helpful tips so that you can have better relationships? Or is there something that is distinct and real? That you've been transformed and that you can't help but love people. Hold that thought. And think for a second how you understand news. Boy, we have more news than we've ever had before, don't we? When I was growing up, news was morning and evening. That's it. Woke up, got news, went to bed, received news. Now you can't get away from news. So much so that news, particularly politics, is the very epicenter of our conversations now. We are more informed than we've ever been. And with this news, we often see parts of the news that's helpful, and then there are parts of the news that are essential. Well, the reason why we say that is because one of the things that Paul wanted to do here in 1 Corinthians 15, which we're going to look at, is that there were people who were doubting the resurrection, and they doubted if Jesus actually rose from the dead. They were also doubting if they too would resurrect, if they, those who have died, would come back and have a new body and be with Jesus. They were questioning the resurrection, wondering if there was more to life. Some in the church were inspired by Jesus as a philosopher, as a sophist, one who had wisdom, a great teacher. But Paul would tell them that Jesus is not only a great teacher, but he is rather a resurrected king, that this is news, that these are facts, that this is historical data, and it should transform our conduct and moreover transform our love for one another. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 and 2 reads this way, now I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, meaning I want to clarify for you The gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, this imagery of sanctification, if you hold to the message I have preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. This idea of the gospel, understanding that as good News, some of you have heard that before, is also aligned with this idea of preached, the word he uses there several times. Now, throughout this passage, there are essentially three words. We only have two of the words up on the screen, but there are three words that Paul will use for this idea of preached. One of them is caruso, which means to preach, and carux, which is preacher, and then evangelion, to bring glad tidings. All of them have to do with sharing a message. Caruso, carux, evangelion, all of them, this message-bearing imagery. And there were other words that Paul could have used if he was saying that they had a message that was built in philosophy or great teaching. But this message, actually, he puts in the idea or in the body of this idea of news, of media. This idea of a karux, a preacher, is a herald, a town crier, 
That at that time, they didn't have Facebook or Twitter or they didn't have an app that they could get so they could get all the latest information. So they would literally get someone to run into the town, go into the middle of the town square and cry out the news that was relevant for them. They would tell of a new governor that had been put in place, a new tax that was going to be distributed. Someone had died a new child potentially born, all relevant news. And at that time and in our time, news breaks down into three categories. You have soft news, you know, the news where you can find out where the greatest Christmas deals are. The news where you can find out how experts have revealed ways to handle stress where you could find out ways where you could stop. There's actually this thing I saw, you could stop robocalls. I didn't look it up, but anybody know how to do that? Please tell me how to do that because I get too many phone calls. And they use your, uh, they use your area code. That's how they get you, see? And I, I know, they, they, be, they own their stuff, right? So you have all these soft news realities. They call it news you can use. <laughs> then you have hard news. Hard news is, you know, there's a fire that happened in town and, There's new taxes that have been passed, and there's a blizzard on the way. But in our day, we don't only have soft news and hard news. We have breaking news. (laughs) It's funny, because breaking news used to be a big deal. Amen? Hmm? Breaking news was in 1986, the space shuttle Challenger blew up. The people in it died. Breaking news was September 11th. Breaking news was Ronald Reagan had been shot. That was breaking news. And what they were saying with breaking news is stop whatever you are doing. If you are at work, if you are getting on the train, if you are getting up, stop whatever you're doing because if you don't have this information, you will be ill-informed for the rest of your day, potentially even the rest of your life. We need to break whatever you're doing, stop whatever you're doing, and let me get all of your attention. That's breaking news. Not soft, helpful news, not even hard, informative news. Breaking news. It was sometimes called a special report or a news flash. But this is the kind of news that would stop you. And what Paul will unpack is that this message, these glad tidings, this karuks, he's a preacher, he's telling them that there is breaking news, that the radical love of Jesus is this radical news. And he's saying that we aren't giving helpful tips that we aren't just giving good advice, that we are not some sophist philosophers giving you some insights to have a better world to live in. No, we are telling you Christ actually died for you. This is historical data. So much so that I'm not gonna call myself a wisdom bearer, I'm gonna call myself a news anchor. I'm telling you news, good news. And In 1 John, John will question if you've been been made aware of the news. 1 John 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love. We've talked about this before in other chapters of 1 Corinthians. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. You did not know the full love of God. Verse 19, we 
love. The only reason why we love, the only reason why love goes horizontal is because he first loved us, because it was vertical first. It came down to us. We encountered the love of God. and Therefore, we distribute the love of God. And he says, have you ever heard this before? If any y'all heard this, if anyone says, I love God vertically, and yet hates his brother or sister horizontally, he's a liar. He didn't say he's a heretic. He didn't say that he has poor theology. He's saying he has not had the encounter he's saying he had. He, he could not have encountered the love of God and look at people the same way. No, you're, you're lying. You ever catch anybody in lie? Remember that? You ever do that? It's quite entertaining as a parent. It was death. It was, oh, it was horrible when you were a child. Heart beating. I remember one time I was like, Mom, I need to lay down. She's like, because you're lying. You're tired. Because you're lying, right? You ask details. Who was there? When would you go? When would you get back? Tell me more about it. Details. And oftentimes, a Christian is unloving because they've not actually encountered Jesus. Oh, they've gone to church and they've heard preaching, but they've not encountered the Holy Spirit. Oh, they like the singing. Oh, I like the way we sing, but they may not be worshiping, enjoying God. And that's not how much you move your hands. It's not how much you move your feet. It's how much your heart is moving when the words come from your mouth. Jesus. And so Paul, or rather John here is saying essentially, an unloving Christian is an oxymoron. An oxymoron is like jumbo shrimp. It's two things that can't go together. Oh, you don't love? You, you can't know Jesus. You know Jesus? And that's why so many people like Jesus but can't stand the church. This is not to say that Jesus won't give you a better life. Jesus will give you a better life and he'll make you better at life. But that was not the central idea of the church, the early church. The early church were oppressed people. They were mostly slaves. Very few, you know, Paul said earlier, not many of you were of noble birth. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose that which is unwise, the foolish things of this world. God chose weak people and the early church. So when Paul was reading, when they were reading off what Paul was reading, they were like, mm-hmm, we some messed up people. None of them thought they were all that. They were all oppressed. They were the, what you would call the dregs of society, the bottom rung people. How did the church spread? Was it because they had great entrepreneurs? They had these very winsome pastors and preachers that would get up there and entertain people and tell them about Greek and Hebrew words. It was because they had this great worship. They had big facilities. Is that how the church grew? Primarily, it was because the most oppressed people, instead of being bitter, were generous. While they were being martyred, while they were being thrown to the lions, they were singing to their God. While they had nothing, they were still offering themselves. Oh, they would, in Acts chapter 2, it says they would even sell what they had to give to their brother. Something happened to these people. And they are changed. 
1 Corinthians 14, Paul would say that when the church is all prophesying, when the church is all speaking into each other's lives, the non-believer walks in and says, truly God is among you. God is doing something here. The reality is that when everyone is distributing the love of God, the gifts that God has given them. People walk in and it is not you, our ability, it is not the teaching, it's not the lights, it's certainly not the screen. Praise God, we've been going through, hallelujah, all the problems we have. But we are not good at everything. We have a good God. Our God is good. And we offer that. We offer him to people. That's how the early church grew. Something happened to them. And Paul says, that which has happened to that early church happened to me. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 8. He says, I passed on to you as most important. That also I, I also received. Christ died for our sins. He died for our sins, according to the scriptures. At that time, you would understand the scriptures as the Old Testament being that the corpus of the New Testament had not been built up as yet. Verse 4, that he was buried, historically true, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he says, and that he appeared. Now he's not leaning into the scriptures to tell of the actual moments, but now he's saying, then he appeared, and then he starts naming names. Now, you know, this is very important when he names names. Now, this is the reason why. He says Cephas. Y'all know Cephas. Peter, the guy that's the leader of the church, guy was always, you know, talking when he was supposed to talk. Peter, you know Peter. And he says the 12. You've heard of the 12, all the disciples. You know them. So he's building up credibility as to bring credit to the historical data. Then he says, then he appeared to 500 brothers and sisters at one time. 500 people at one time. So it has not been proven that you can have a group hallucination, that 500 people could see a person. So he's saying, yeah, there's 500. And that's not you, man, when you say 500 people saw the same thing, but here's what he did. You might not be able to reach Cephas or the 12. You know, they're a big deal. But he says 500, and then he says most of them are still alive. Meaning you can follow up what I'm saying. You can go back and check what I am saying. If I told you that in 1998, I didn't, I tried out for the Chicago Bears. I got hurt in the trial. If I told you that I played for the Chicago Bears, you can go back and be like, did you remember when James played for the Bears? Guys on my team be like, that brother did not play for the Bears. You, if I told you to go back, and there, go back and talk to them, my credibility would be diminished, would not be established. But this is the other thing. Understand this. This letter was written 20 years after the resurrection. That's why he says they're still alive. This is only 20 years later. And historical events don't tend to just leave people's mind after 20 years. We act like 20 years a long time. If we say stuff from 1998, some, I know some of y'all were born in 1998. Praise God. Pray, I, pray, I pray blessing over you for those born in 1998. But for the premillennial people that are here, listen, you know stuff from 1998? If I say, you know, like you don't know, I say, well, what is this Lauren Hill? Who is that? 
What is this, uh, the Backstreet Boys? I don't know. What are you talking about? You remember that stuff? That's only 20 years ago. And Paul's like, you can check my facts, check my data, but check the people. They too saw him. But the reason that this is of utmost importance, even to what we're saying about this encounter, is look what he says in verse 8. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, meaning I wish I could have walked amongst him, but he saw the resurrected Jesus. He says, he also appeared to me. I'm not telling you about some data I heard about. I'm not telling you just about James and Cephas and all these other people and the 12 and 500. I'm saying what happened to me. I'm telling you about a personal encounter that happened to me. I met him. He changed me. Acts chapter 9 speaks of Saul. Saul. Before Paul was Paul, before he wrote 13 letters in the New Testament, he was known as Saul, and he was essentially a terrorist wanting to kill Christians. Acts 9 says that now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciple of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus and so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, that is the, that is the understanding that Christians were called the way before they were called Christians, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light came from heaven, suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. He says, now get up. God tells him, get up and go. Go into the city. I'm going to give you more information. And Saul, who was on this road destroying Christians, is now sent into the city and is now becoming a missionary, telling of the life of Jesus, not because he had some intellectual intent or he was able to just comprehend God, but he had an encounter. And Jesus changed him. Jesus was breaking news. He broke into his life. I used to live in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. And um, in New York, we don't, we don't experience hurricanes. And the name of their hockey team are the Hurricanes. And I really never understood why until we had a hurricane. And... Um, I was at a coffee shop doing my sermon prep and we were watching CNN and I look up and I'm talking to the coffee shop owner and it's just him and me, the coffee shop. And it's been raining and the wind is blowing and we're like, man, the weather is bad. But I didn't know a hurricane was coming. I said, man, turn on the, turn on the TV. Gosh, get, find out the weather report. Well, we go to CNN and CNN is talking about North Carolina. They say, hey, there's a hurricane coming to North Carolina. And I was like, man, that is crazy. A hurricane is coming. Wow, that's amazing. That's, mm, wow, information. 
They said five minutes later, Wake County alert. There's a hurricane coming to Wake County. I looked up at the coffee shop. I was like, we're in Wake County. This is Wake County. Wake County. Okay. Praise God. Wake County. Well, they keep going. And then all of a sudden, the CNN anchor was broken into. And they had, they had a local, the local news. And then they, they put this map up. And they, on the map, they're like, okay, um, the hurricane is going to touch down, or it might have been a tornado, but praise God. Yeah, tornado, tornado. Let's go with that. Um, but it was touching down. Work with it. It's going to touch down on 285 and 85. And I was like, 285 and 85. I looked at the coffee shop owner. I was like, where? This is 285. He's like, mm-hmm. And I was like, and 85 is right here? He's like, mm-hmm. I was like, are we on 285 and 85? He was like, yes. I was like, and we were at the very center of it. Ooh, it was different when it was North Carolina. Got a little nervous when it was Wake County. But I got real nervous when it was right where I was. And I wonder if the scriptures break into your life. That if they pull right up into your neighborhood, right into your driveway and knock on your door, and that's what we call conviction. When you can't get away, Jesus confronts us. He doesn't allow us to live that way. He gets into our Damascus road, jumps right in, challenges the way we think and has an intervention. And Jesus is still intervening today. Jesus is still giving encounters today. Jesus is still, even though you may not have him say James, James, he might not say your name, but you have got to have a moment in your life where the God of heaven and earth encounters you and he may not say your name, but you know he's speaking to you. You know the word of God is speaking to you. Far too often, we give these Im- this imagery that, oh, it's good old Jesus who died. And listen, I don't have time to unpack every element of the resurrection. We'll do that on Easter and we'll talk about that more. But I just want to say to you and proclaim Christ is alive. That Jesus, yes, he died. He rose on the third day and he's still alive and he still speaks from eternity. He still speaks into people's lives. We treat Jesus like he's an old historical artifact. Like if we were some basketball team, we put his jersey up in the rafters and retired his jersey. We're like, thanks, Jesus. Thanks for all the miracles you did. Thanks for the way you spoke. Thanks for the Bible. He spoke and is speaking. We don't think about what Jesus said. We think about what he's saying. Jesus is still speaking today. Why do we know? Because people are having encounters at Bridge Church. We've seen lives change. We've seen people going one direction and now going another. And that's the story of my life and the story of many of your lives. You didn't just say, I like the preaching. I like the word. I like the worship. You say, I fell in love with Jesus because he's still speaking today. Now, the reason why, as we talk about love, this is so important. Because the church has lost its mantle for being known, for being loving people. And love is not 
a natural aspect. It's, it's not something natural to our DNA where we just, I just feel like we need the supernatural work of God where you say, God, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to approach these people. And we are a peculiar people. We are a priesthood of people who intervene on the behalf of the nations and we love on people and we care for people and people are blown away by how much patience and kindness do we have. That's our ethic. That's our brand, love. And this is so important. Praise God. (laughs) This is so important because love never fails. And we are seeing relationships fail. We are seeing the church divided by politics and race like never before. We are seeing there's so much frustration and anger. There's so much division in our country, but there's division in the church. We have these hot topics we can't discuss. Not because we can't discuss them, but because we don't know how to stay. We don't know how to stay. We don't know how to just sit. We don't know how to commit to the people. We're more committed to the ideology than we are to the people. So we're ready to fight. And sometimes, honestly, an argument is necessary in terms of just the concepts that we're going back and forth, but but remaining committed to one another. The Bible says that the dividing wall is down, meaning that the church should be able to have this unity that's unique because we all have the same Father. And we are connected in this deep, unifying way. And it's a shame when you go to a concert and you're gathered in the name of some artist or you go to a sport and you're gathered in the name of some team. But we come to the church and we're gathered in the name of Jesus and they look more together than we do. The church. Um, sometimes people decide to invite me to speak places for whatever reason, praise God. And um, I'm often asked to speak on race. <coughs> and when I, when I do that, um, I try to be as honest as can be. Obviously, I'm in New York, but I lived in the South for 19 years. So I've had a unique experience. I've, I've worked, I've, I went to a church that was National Baptist Convention, which is black, I've worked in the PCA, which is an all-white denomination. I've worked in the SBC, which is an all-white denomination. Um, my dad is black. so. Um, so but I've just had all these diverse experiences. No, my dad is a dean of a seminary, an all-black seminary, where I went to. Right? So I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, but I also went to Shaw University Divinity School, which was an all-black seminary. My dad was the dean of that seminary. I also went to Southeastern Seminary. Now, I say all this not in any way to impress you, but I say this to say that the reality of diversity is a challenging thing, and it's a conversation that I tend to have. And um, I was in uh, Alabama one time speaking, and uh, I had been doing, I had been uh, speaking, and I did some workshops, and I had a host home that I stayed at. And at night, I drink tea. I was real tired. Just drinking some tea, hot tea. And uh, later that night, 
as we sat down in this host family's home, uh, the couple was white. And they said, um, I heard you talking about, you know, the challenges that black men have. I said, this is true. Yeah, a lot of challenges. She said, I, I heard you saying that oftentimes you feel profiled by the police. Now, immediately I was like, feel. Hmm. Yes, I do feel profiled. She said, um, you don't, and, and oftentimes, you know, you, you may perceive that people don't think you're intelligent. And I said, well, that's part of being a, a black man in America. It's very challenging. She said, well, I want to let you know I understand everything you're saying. I said, oh, okay. She said, because I'm blonde. And I was like, yeah, that's not, I wasn't, that's not what I was saying. She was like, yeah, no, as a blonde woman, I oftentimes feel like people don't think I'm as smart. I was like, okay, all right. Now, old James had two options. Go to bed, James. It's late. You talked about race, huh? Huh? They liked it. You want to keep, you know what I'm saying? You want to keep, you know, just be, say amen. Say amen. Say, say, say something like you don't say and go to bed. <laughs> go to bed, man. You're tired, aren't you? You're tired. You're tired. Yeah. Yeah. Then take your flight home in the morning and, they, and you, it won't even get, you know what I'm saying? You won't even get hot on your collar. It'll be fine. Drink that tea. And then the other old James, who's like in a jail cell, and he's just, give him to me, I know what to say. <laughs> Grab your stuff, James. Give him that work. Go home, get an Uber, get a hotel, and let them know what's on your mind. Right? Go off. Because race is this conversation, particularly for African-Americans and Caribbean-Americans, Latinos, black and brown people, where it's so close to our emotions. Yeah. I took a breath. took a sip of tea. I said, well, um, I, don't, um, I don't necessarily think that it's the same. I think it's similar. Right? I do think it's similar. I, I, I mean... Obviously, you have an experience, but I think my experience may be broader. Um, I wake up black every day, so, and in the reality of that, um, when I go into a boardroom, I'm, I'm black, but when I get pulled over by the police, I'm black. I have a master's degree, but sometimes I get treated like I didn't graduate high school, right? If I'm wearing sweats, I get t treated totally different. When I'm on planes, my, my life is, is different. Now... By God's grace, you could, you could dye your hair. I mean, your hair color is essentially a choice. But my skin color, it's, it's my voice. It, it goes before me. People can't hear me without seeing me. She said, uh, I never thought of that. I was like, I know. <laughs> she was like, I'm going to be honest with you. Can I be honest with you? I said, be honest. She said, I was offended when you first started talking. I was like, so was I. I was offended by you, so. Isn't that crazy how that works? She said, but I felt safe. I felt like we could keep talking. And because of my life entanglements, I'm constantly in those conversations. And I'm always getting lunch with people 
And I always know, some, I know sometimes it's going to be a conversation about race. I, I just want to talk about sports, but it's going to be a conversation about race. And sometimes I'm like, can't you just use Google? Can you read a book? Just, I don't always want to have to talk about this. But what I've realized is we, we got to stop. We have to stop. We, we have to be more patient with one another. And I believe the news is discipling us more than the good news. I believe that MSNBC, CNN, Fox is discipling the church more, in many ways, more than the Holy Spirit is. Because we are repeating the conduct we see. We're seeing the rage. The issues are tough. And sometimes you just, you get fatigue and you just want to give up. If you are even entering into not just race conversations, hard conversations. And Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Now here's what he's saying. If this whole resurrection thing is not real and new, he's saying live for comfort. Don't take any risks. Don't pursue people. But if the love of God is true, then what he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 is true. Pursue love. Desire gifts, more gifts so that I could bless people, more tools in my tool belt so I could be a blessing. And especially that you may prophesy that I might speak into other people's lives, that I might bless people and acknowledge the work of God in my life and demonstrate it to the world. Pursue love. Don't just live. Don't, don't just let the world be divided and let the church divide with it. Don't just follow the pattern and the rhythms of this world. That, that, there's a pattern. There's a rhythm that, that Satan is behind. It's not the president. It's Satan. We're not fighting a government. There are principalities and powers higher than all that we're seeing in this temporal world. And what cuts through that is the love of God. And you know why I know the love of God cuts through that? Because he cut through my life. He interrupted my life. And the love of God interrupts anger. It interrupts division. It interrupts hatred. It interrupts all the different silos and the enclaves that we're making in our culture because we've become so tribal. And yet, Paul says, pursue love. When he says pursue love, he's saying pursue love, the concept. He's saying pursue people. People. People, don't you know that God uses trial to sanctify us? People, trial, God uses trial. People, trials. People are generally the trial. People, he uses people. And yes, you can hang out with all the people that care for you, that give you all the, they, they stroke your ego and make you feel good. But I'm so glad God didn't do that. I'm so glad God didn't just hang out in heaven, hang out with the Holy Spirit and the angels and the Father God. But he came down and interrupted my life and said, James, stop going the direction you're going. Follow me. 
He interrupted my life. He broke into my life. Pursue people. One author called him the hound of heaven, chasing us down, chase people down. I cannot tell you how many weddings I have done where people said they loved what they really meant was I'm really interested in this person until I'm tired. <laughs> and I pray that the church, I can't speak for the global church, I can't speak for the church in New York, I certainly can't speak for the church of Brooklyn, but I can speak for Bridge Church. I pray that you would be known for the love of God. I pray that there are no divisions in this church. I pray that there's no one harboring evil feelings towards anyone. I pray that no one is walking around constantly spreading any kind of disfigured thoughts about anyone else. I pray that we are holding each other up. And I pray that we would be a diverse community of people with different thoughts, but we'd be gathered in the name of Jesus. Father, we love you. We, even now, God, we ask you to touch our lives, remind us of all you've done. Jesus, you're so good. Jesus, thank you for interrupting me. Thank you for breaking. Thank you for breaking in. God, we ask you tonight, who is it you're wanting me to pursue? Who is it you want me to love? Bring those people to mind. Thank you for the resurrected Jesus. The resurrected Jesus who transformed our lives. In Jesus' name. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.